Welcome back to another episode of the Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, Senior Reporter at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, Senior Media Editor at Digiday. Before we get into this week's episode, we want to talk about uh, some exciting coverage that we have coming out at Digiday later, starting later this month, as well as at our sibling publications, Glossy and Modern Retail, with you know everything um, going on in the industry and the world at the moment and trying to return to some new normal in the wake of the pandemic. We've put together a package of a lot of really great stories, you know, basically themed around this question of now what? Now, after these past 17, 18 months, what does the world, business, the workplace look like? And so I've, you know, written a piece on the return of TV, um, basically looking at the fall and fourth quarter period as this time when we're going to have the NFL, college football back on traditional TV, what seem to be regular programming lineups. Netflix is expecting to have a full programming pipeline for the end of the year to help it reaccelerate subscriber growth. And then you have all these other streaming services, um, as well as this year's advertising upfront cycle um, taking effect. And so what does that all mean, especially when you have people returning to the office. It seems Delta variant notwithstanding, um, kids returning to school. And so all of this competition for people's attention, both on screen and off screen. Kaylee, what was the piece you worked on? Yeah, I actually worked on a couple for this package. Um, the first one was on uh, blockchain innovation in the media industry. Um, you know, obviously there was a flurry of testing in the NFT space and uh, trying to get some, uh, I guess I'll call it like reader revenue from that. Um, But there's obviously a lot more that can be done in the blockchain area, um, especially in the journalism uh, and media sector. So this piece kind of looks at what the next steps are and where it can go from here. There's going to be a lot of coverage around blockchain in the next several years, I'm, I'm sure of it. So this is just kind of a glimpse at Again, answering that question, what comes next? Um, The other piece is looking at burnout. Um, Obviously, there's been talk about burnout since the beginning of the pandemic. That's never really gone away. But there are new factors. There's this kind of secondary wave of factors that are leading and contributing to burnout. Um, So it's taking a look at how a return to an office setting um, has the potential of, of causing, you know, more stress and uh, anxiety on employees. Um, And then there's also the fact that people have to balance social lives again in this kind of quote unquote vaccination summer um, and trying to figure out what the the line between personal and and work life looks like. Um, So those are the two pieces I worked on and it was a really fun package. And so everyone should be sure to check it out. But yeah, I guess we can get into our conversation today. Uh, Tim, you talked with Jason Y. Lee and Mike Sue about Jubilee Media. So Jason is the founder and CEO of Jubilee, um, which is a media company that's focused, I guess, primarily on video. And Mike is actually the director of Snapchat's Accelerator program, but he is an individual investor into Jubilee. So um, I'm eager to kind of learn more about it. Um, I hear that they like to call themselves the Disney of empathy. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah, it's, that's their ambition anyway, is to become the Disney of empathy. But that was kind of my big question going into the interview is just, okay, I've, I know of media companies who specialize in sports or food or, you know, the news, comedy. Um, and then like, 
everyone in sort of the miscellaneous category kind of just buckets themselves. It's, you know, lifestyle publishers or lifestyle media companies, but they've staked a claim as empathy being their content category, which I thought was really interesting. And um, I think Jason and Mike actually did a pretty good job of explaining like what exactly that means and highlighting some examples of the programming Jubilee has put out, um, or, you know, around empathy. And, And basically the just is they're just trying to you know create videos they're they're getting into feature films and tv create programming that kind of highlights the commonalities between people as well as you know um shared viewpoints and, and just different perspectives as well so not all you know strictly commonalities or similarities but just giving people a better sense of others so that they can connect to others even if they don't necessarily share their viewpoints or experiences which after the past year and a half after the past four and a half years um, in the u.s it feels like there cannot be enough enough empathy yeah and i think that is like ties into uh to your point, a big theme around, you know, publishers looking to do more in the DE&I space and, and re- reevaluating their um, internal makeup. Um, obviously, if you're a company that's focused on empathy, it might make sense to have a staff that represents a lot of people so that it can produce videos about viewpoints that are shared with with others. Um, I guess, did he talk at all about their strategy in DE&I and, and diversity as like a staff? Yeah, we did get into that. And it was really interesting because, um, you know, Jason is an Asian CEO. And so I guess I kind of went into the conversation expecting that, okay, with a diverse CEO, with a CEO who's a person of color, um, this is probably going to, you know, a company that's also diverse. But even then, I was surprised when he broke down that a majority of the company's employees, of Jubilee's employees, are people of color and that there's gender parity. Um, that's not to say that there isn't room for improvement. For example, um, having employees who identify as non-binary is still an area that Jubilee is going to need to work on. But he was pretty open about um, acknowledging that Jubilee still has work to do. And I think a lot of times for companies when it comes to improving diversity, equity, and inclusion, that ends up being the first step is just recognize there's a problem so you can get on with uh, addressing it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited to hear more about uh, both the empathy kind of lens that they cover the world in and also their um, diversity initiatives. That sounds like a really fun conversation. Jason Wiley, Mike Sue, welcome to the Digital Podcast. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having us, Tim. Good to be here. Jason, I want to start with you. And before we get into the history of Jubilee Media, I kind of want to you know talk about what Jubilee Media is, because mm-hmm. Jubilee Media is a digital media company, but you don't play in a traditional content category or genre. It's not sports media. It's <laughs> not comedy. It's not food. You, I've heard you describe Jubilee Media as wanting to be the Disney of empathy. That's empathy right. again, not a traditional content category. So, can you talk about like what the the content is, the videos primarily that Jubilee puts out, and how like why this is the niche that you've established for yourself? Absolutely. You know, I think in a lot of ways, as the world gets more divided, more cynical, Jubilee exists to bridge people together and provoke empathy. 
we want to be about human understanding and to really show particularly young people what it means to just understand ourselves, understand each other, understand relationships much better. And we've built our company and our shows around that, not in a didactic way or even in a Pollyanna way, but in a way that's you know provocative and interesting and really provokes you to think about who you are and the fact that we have often a lot more in common than we, than we might think. So you're right that um, a lot of people have trouble putting us into a particular category or box. And we see that as a tremendous white space that we want to kind of own and grow into. Good. And empathy is one of those terms where I feel like people could have a hard time putting a finger on the pulse of it, especially when they're trying to think of what empathetic content or programming is. Like maybe they think of Ted Lasso because I think Ted Lasso is like, <laughs> yeah. I want more show. shows like Ted Lasso these days. But with Jubilee Media, I feel like middle ground is probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, a good representation of the type of programming that you all put together. So can you kind of give me the, the well, one, if if you agree that middle ground mm -hmm. is like a good example for folks and then kind of what that show is and how the idea for the show came about. Absolutely. You're right, Tim, that empathy is a word that's being used more and more often these days. And I would, I would argue used incorrectly actually at times. Uh, for us, empathy demonstrates or um, requires a diversity of opinion and requires listening and understanding one another. Um, but it does not imply agreement. Um, and if you look at the media landscape right now, I would argue that there's very few examples of empathy that we see. In fact, a lot of media companies are profiting and growing on a lack of empathy, on kind of this, like, you know, whether it's politics or just yelling at each other, not actual listening or understanding. So that's a huge space that we see. And middle ground is a good embodiment of what we believe. And about, I mean, um, Middle Ground's a show that brings two quote-unquote opposing sides together. And it's not necessarily to have a debate, but it's actually to demonstrate that we have far more in common than we might think. So a good example of that is we brought Republicans and Democrats together. We brought, uh, in the past, we brought ex-felons and cops together. And rather than saying who is right and who is wrong, we actually open up the discussion to have shared beliefs or opinions. So for Republicans and Democrats, one of the props was, I believe that the United States is the best country in the world. Right, that, that prompt in and of itself is not a partisan idea. It's something that both sides of the aisle can potentially agree on. Um, and we kind of explore those ideas and kind of try to demonstrate that, you know, just because you have a red shirt or a blue shirt on, or just because you have a pink shirt or a black shirt on, it does not mean that you have to subscribe to an entire world of belief. And it's really exciting because when we were first starting Jubilee, a lot of people kind of dismiss the idea that young people would be interested or gravitate towards this content. And what we've seen is that's uh, simply not true. That even though, you know, millennials and Gen Z are some of the most cynical generation now, um, that they really seek this out because they recognize that the world is nuanced and they recognize that it can't just be Pollyanna, but that they want to get into the complexity of what it means to be human. Yeah, it reminds me of in middle school, I had a teacher, Mr. Susich, who had what he called it the pizza pie theory. And basically the theory was everyone's got a pizza and you get like everyone has the crust, um, but then people start having different types of sauces and mm -hmm. then maybe different types of cheeses and maybe different toppings and all that. But like at the end of the day, it's all kind of pizza and you get all these layers to it. And I think I thought of that a lot when I was checking out middle ground of just like that's what you all are doing here is finding that commonality. Um, you mentioned the, the start of Jubilee Media. So before it was Jubilee Media, it was the Jubilee Project, which was, was a nonprofit 
that you created. And then that was 2012. And then 2017, you formed Jubilee Media. Can you walk me through that, like the the history or really that turning point where Jubilee, the Jubilee Project begets Jubilee Media? Absolutely. Yeah. When I first started Jubilee Project, I was actually a consultant. So I didn't have a background in media or in video. I was working at Bain and it was something I kind of stumbled into, uh, making videos for fun. Um, but then with Jubilee Project, I was really trying to create content that would drive money and awareness to various causes. And we were actually pretty successful in that way. Um, we were able to garner, you know, hundreds of thousands of views and raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for causes. But as I was growing, we've kind of started to see there's a much larger opportunity here and a much larger need to kind of affect culture and move young people to think differently. Let's not just raise money for clean water or for education. What if we can equip people to think differently, understand themselves better, understand each other better, and actually wouldn't that, you know, quote unquote, change the world in a more impactful way. So that's kind of what I started to do with Jubilee Media. Um, and in 2017, you know, this was actually, as you know, probably the, during the downfall of a lot of digital media companies. So it was kind of like a precarious time to start. But I really believe that empathy would be a huge driver of uh, viewership, of, you know, profit, and the thing is, you can't fake empathy, right? I knew that we had to build something foundationally that was all about this authentic brand. And I think now, three or four years later, we're seeing a lot of that fruit come in as more brands are starting to recognize that, you know, Gen Z expects brands to be positively contributing to society, to be authentically built this way. So we're really excited about where we're positioned now and how we've been growing. And then, Mike, so you're an investor in Jubilee Media as an individual. You, you know, run the accelerator program at Snap Yellow, but Snap is not an investor in Jubilee Media. How did you come to be involved with Jubilee? Yeah, so I had known Jason peripherally just as he was getting Jubilee Project off the ground and uh, talked on and off and then really began spending more time with him around that 2017 time as he was transitioning from Jubilee Project to Jubilee Media. And, you know, because I'd been in media for a while, just having a lot of conversations with him about the landscape, uh, about how crazy he would be to turn this into a media company and why would you do that to yourself? And But just being really also inspired by the vision for what he's building uh, and just the sort of mission-driven mindset that he had in terms of really wanting to earnestly leverage this platform to change the com- the discourse that we're having in our country and in the world. And so that was really inspiring to me and got really excited about it personally. And uh, just really seeing him uh, committed to this uh, inspired me to get involved with them. Got it. And so like, what was that turn on, on you know, wanting to get like, it's, it's one thing to want to support Jason to say, yeah, I can, you know, I have experience in media. I can kind of you know, bounce ideas off of me and I can help you figure this thing out. But it's another yeah. thing to then get a, you know, put a financial stake in the company. Yeah, just really seeing that white space that Jason referred to, you know, whether it was uh, good timing or being prescient or being fortunate or some combination of all those things, as we got more and more divided as a country and in our conversation online, I think it's no coincidence that Jubilee really starts picking up momentum because people are hungry. That's what we need, right? We want to connect with uh, each other. And so seeing that white space and the opportunity for Jubilee to occupy that, I think as that continues to grow and build, continue to build on its incredible momentum, there's a real business there, right? Like there's 
there's a need for brands to reach audiences who are a part of that community, who believe in meaningful conversation, who aren't just quick to cancel everything or just to shout at one another, but to have really meaningful, uh, deep engagement. And if, if a brand like Jubilee can create that, I think that's going to be really, really interesting for uh, advertisers and other brands to want to be around. And really, really hard. Like it's it's one thing to have tried to do that in 2017 after the U.S. presidential election. It felt like the country was as polarized as it has been in, in my lifetime. I'm not going to say it ever because we had a civil war. Um, <laughs> but then in the past year, past year and a half, it feels like it's, it's in some respects gotten even more polarized where... We've had the anti-vaxxers. There was, you know, all of the attention on racial injustice and, you know, Black Lives Matter. But then you had people, you know, talking about all lives matter and blue lives matter and all of that. How has Jubilee's programming approach evolved in its history, Jason? And I'm also curious, like, whether you've seen any particular, made any particular developments over the past year and a half. Yeah, I think one thing that was always kind of core to our content was that we were not about one side versus another, that we're not just promoting, you know, this set of beliefs or that one. We are literally in the party of empathy, which means that even though I may personally disagree with some of the viewpoints that I might hear on our channel, that doesn't preclude us from uh, including those. And the reason I say that is because I think that all of us have our personal viewpoints, right? And if that was the way that we kind of created our content, there would be no room for any of these viewpoints. Um, so I think that that was always something that was really important. And the other thing is just building a team and a company that actually authentically represented that too. We're really proud to have a really diverse team of young people who span, you know, different ethnicities, uh, you know, sexual orientation, different uh, genders, as well as political affiliation, right? And we knew that unless we actually had voices within the company who can authentically have uh, or represent these voices that we wouldn't do a good job as Jubilee. So that's something I'm really proud of. And, you know, we actually call our, when we're in the office, uh, we're not in the office right now, but when we're in the office, we actually call our kind of lunch area middle ground because, you know, every day at lunch, we'd be talking about these issues. We'd be talking about everything from gun control to to Kanye West and how we think about it. And and it, it it's not abnormal from a Jubilee standpoint to be at this company and to say, hey, you know, Tim, I, I hear what you're saying and I just respectfully disagree, but this is why. Let's talk a little bit more about it. Or, hey, that's something I've never really thought about. Um, I really appreciate that. Actually, I'm just starting to change my point of view here. And is it something where, you, like, as much as um, I'm about to completely contradict the premise that I had on that last question, I'm curious, like, whether there has been something of a turn in these past 18 months, where as, as much as, you know, maybe things feel really polarized in some respects, we also had things like, I mean, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man was mm -hmm. a really big show that came about last summer and seems representative of at least a slice of the population wanting to have these types of conversations, wanting to find some middle ground, wanting to basically just hash things out and not just let the differences persist. So did you see any changes with your audience or the receptivity to the programming? Yeah, it's so funny you say that because I agree that the media, the media landscape as it stands today reflects a very kind of polarized breakdown of even demographics or how a company needs to advocate for various causes. But when we look at the young audience, that that's not the way that they seem to split out. Um, when we look at Gen Z and millennials, particularly Gen Z, they're so nuanced and they understand that the world is not black and white. 
And they almost kind of, I think, uh, dismiss when a company is saying, oh, you have to be just like this or you have to be just like that. So in a lot of ways, even though we've been, we were early on this trend, in a lot of ways, I feel like we're just a mirror to what young people are thinking about and how they're actually digesting and investigating these issues today. So um, as much as I'd like to say that we were part of, you know, I think we are leading that charge. Um, they are so far ahead um, of where we are. And I think that that's just where more attention, more money, more brands are going to move towards if they're smart. I think in a lot of ways, empathy is going to be a leading indicator for a brand success for this next generation. And Mike, coming from having experience in the, the media industry and the media industry can be very cyclical. I'm curious, like what kind of advice or what your conversations have been like with Jason over the past 18 months and, you know, trying to stay on top of audience, you know, changes or, you know, what kind of, you know, programming people would be interested in, but then also kind of maintaining that North Star of the company around empathy. Yeah, I mean, I th I think first and foremost is around that last part about maintaining a North Star and building a brand, right? I think, you know, unlike technology businesses, which might benefit from network effects, you know, and, and locking in that way, you know, if you get a million views, you don't necessarily have network effects there. But what you have to build as a business is, is a brand. And that brand relationship is earned over a long period of time, which is another reason I'm so excited about what Jason has built, because this wasn't just like, hey, I'm going to launch this and we're going to hack the algorithms and grow really quickly. This is something he started back in 2012 and began that conversation back in 2012. And so if you can build that brand value, actually, that has potentially even more durable uh, staying power than network effects, right? Like Steve Jobs is famous for saying, you know, his most enduring legacy will probably be Pixar, you know, long after the last iPhone is shipped. People will still be watching Woody and Buzz Lightyear and uh, all of these amazing films because of that relationship, if you can occupy a space in people's heart. And so a lot of Jason and I's conversation is around that. How do you preserve that? How do you create space for people to identify with that? How do you, you know, really unpack that in different formats and whatnot? Uh, so I think that's one big part of our overall conversation. And the other parts are just in his journey as a founder building culture, leading teams, and, and a lot of conversations around that as well. But he's such a natural. I love the, the, the you know, that they come up with something like middle ground for their own office to really make sure that there's integrity between the message that they're putting out and how they operate as a company as well. Right. And Jason, like, as much as we're talking about empathy, it feels like a kind of sub-priority, if you will, would be representation. Because in order to find middle ground, find commonality across people, you have to be representative or, you know, find ways to be inclusive of all different kinds of people in order to find that common ground. And so I'm curious, like, how you've done that in building up Jubilee Media from a staffing perspective. Like, you know, when the company was formed in 2017, and how did you think about that initial hiring and, you know, to the extent that you had, you know, quotas that you wanted to hit or, you know, that you wanted to make sure that you maintained a specific level of diversity as opposed to just setting the kind of amorphous goal of we want a diverse workforce? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, as an Asian American, right, as a person of color or minority, like I know what it feels like sometimes to be what I perceive as on the other side of it, where I'm like, I'm not sure how these decisions are being made and is this equitable and fair? And, and what I always thought and believed was that um, 
our initial hires were going to be the most critical. Um, how how quickly can we make sure that there is a voice represented in the room that represents these different you know identities and viewpoints? And because that's going to be where we kind of start to scale the people, and we've seen that to be true, right? Like the even though we've got you know tremendous number of applications, et cetera, so often like the way that we hire is by people we know, um, and that can be really problematic when it's all let's say all men here, or let's all one you know one gender or one race. But I think by hiring you know our first four or five individuals were very very diverse, and that was like a really important kind of priority, and that's something that. You know, we can't scale now, but initially we were able to scale and think about quite a bit. And what is the current, you know, breakdown between, you know, race and ethnicity as well as gender and um, at the company? Yeah, we're excited to share that we're uh, we're majority minority. Um, we are about 50-50 female to male. Actually, I think exactly 50-50 at this point. Um we are overrepresented on a sexual orientation as well as on a minority front as well. So I think across the board, we feel really excited about how we've grown. And I think it's also really important to mention that even though we've been very intentional about be- growing a diverse team, um, that our team is world class. It's fantastic. And it's not, oh, because we need a X person here, we're going to reluctantly hire this individual. It's actually, we are so excited by what they bring and their perspective that they've made us so much better. That's really impressive. Those stats are really impressive. And with that, like, I imagine someone could hear those stats and be like, God, that must have been really hard to do. But I think a lot of times it's not quite as hard as people make it out to have a diverse, inclusive Workforce. What were the the keys for Jubilee in reaching that point where you are majority minority and you have gender parity? I think it started from a fundamental belief that a diversity of opinion and voices would actually be more profitable. Um, I think sometimes when we have an intention that's just like a nice to have, um, that can only go so far. But if we believe to our core, actually, no, this will make us stronger and be more financially viable, that kind of motivates us even further. And it was something that I was really intentional about, even when I was talking to my investors and, you know, from the get-go, this is the type of company we want to build and this is why. And a lot of investors, it's not that they didn't get it, it it wasn't something that they cared as much about. And therefore, we didn't bring some of those folks on board. Whereas I think a lot of our investors now were really, really excited about the fact that they kind of like, from bottom to top, understand what it is that we're trying to do, why it is that we're building this way, and frankly, why we were really deliberate and a little bit slower early on to grow the company. Just to throw in, I think one of the most inspiring things that I've seen Jason build the company is it it comes so naturally in that if you're taking a legacy organization that historically has been dominated by white, older men, it's really hard to make that transition and shift that culture. But, you know, when I look at my kids and how they're growing up, they are already growing up in a majority uh, minority culture and and so it's much more natural for how the world moves and what the audience expects jason's going after this huge white space but the only way they can authentically capture that space is if they are reflective of the audience they're trying to serve and so while on the one hand i think they deserve major kudos for how they've built i also think it's a byproduct of how the the team itself has grown up and this is just it's not something different that they have to pivot to, but more organic to how they move in the world and how they've grown up. Right. No, that's that's a great point. Although, Jason, I am curious, like as the company has grown, it, 
and this is the media industry turnover is just a fact of life in this industry like have you had to do things in order to make ensure that you're maintaining that diversity like do you have specific thresholds that you hold the company to in terms of what the makeup is yeah, it's a good question. It's actually something that we've been talking about quite a bit um, just in this last month or so because we're we just hit twenty employees, so we're about to you know pass thirty, and we're we're kind of steadily hiring and growing. Um, and up until this point, frankly, we've been able to do it based on just the culture and the values and this kind of intention set. Uh, but now we're actually bringing in, you know, whether it's like HR HR folks, consultants, et cetera, who are going to be able to like facilitate that in a scalable way too. Um, so as much as uh, so much of it, I'm proud has come from um, just from the source or from the core. Um, I think that we're now starting to create the guard walls for how do we scale this now when we get to a hundred person company or, you know, one day a thousand person company, let's make sure that we don't lose this because I do think it's a competitive edge of sorts. And the only other thing I'll say is, you know, of course, diversity is so important, so critical to our company. Um, but it also forces us to have really, really important and difficult conversations sometimes. Um, but what I see as a huge advantage is that these conversations happen so quickly and so early because people are saying, hey, wait a second, this doesn't really feel right with me. And we have to talk about those things rather than, you know, we have a video come out or, you know, this brand marketing project comes out and someone says, wait, why did no one in the room think about that? Um, there are times where, you know, one of our female leaders will say, hey, Jason, like, this doesn't make sense to me. And this is why. And initially I'll say, oh, I don't really understand. And then they're like, okay, I get it. it um, so it definitely comes with a really intentional kind of space that we have to create conversation and be, be ready to be wrong. I think that's a huge part of empathy as well, a huge part of Jubilee. But I think that brands who acknowledge that can be wrong actually are being rewarded twofold as well by the audience when we're like authentically acknowledging that we are a work in progress and we're trying our best and this is what our intention is. Because like one thing I'm curious about with that, you know, the gender parity you have, which again is great, but I think a lot of companies are now starting to come to the understanding, okay, gender parity has been and will continue to be the goal, but oh, we also need to consider people who may not identify as one gender or another who identify as non-binary. How have you made sure to be inclusive of people who identify as non-binary? That's a great question because that's not something we've actually, um, we don't currently have anyone within our company who identifies that way. And I would say in some ways that is a, um, it is a, it's a deficit, right? If, if we do want to, to represent that. So it's something that as we grow that I think that we're going to continually have to discuss and be reminded of like, hey, Jason, you know, hey, Jubilee, this is, this is something that's really, really important that we have that voice in the room. Um, so it's going to be a kind of an organic, uh, we, I kind of think of a Jubilee as an organism that we're, we're forced to grow or we will die. Uh, we're forced to grow not just in size, but in our mindset and the way that we understand culture and these topics, otherwise we'll die. Right. Yeah. You always want to be leaving the shortcomings in the past. Mike, you know, as someone with experience in the media and working with different kinds of companies, I'm curious, like how you've been able to see Jubilee having this level of diversity and inclusion 
help the company and differentiate the company compared to you know companies you may have been experienced with in the past who didn't have that level of diversity whether that limited those companies or has created you know different opportunities for jubilee that those companies wouldn't have been open to yeah i think number one as jason mentioned being able to have those internal conversations because these are really nuanced conversations right prior to snap i was at me too a latinx focused digital media company even within there we constantly had debates about representation within the Latinx community. And, you know, that's not a monolith. It's not like, oh, all Latinos felt this way. And we all, you know, the whole team agreed on this. You know, there were very nuanced, very complicated conversations that could only be had by people who represented those groups. And so to think that you could come from the outside and speak to an entire population uh, is, is, you know, I think... Uh, is a difficult thing to do. And so uh, I think Jason, by being able to build that team and having that middle ground and having the culture to wrestle around these things really allows them to navigate around some really difficult topics, which is that difference is what brings out our humanity back to your pizza crust, the same pizza crust and the sauce at the base. All of this is about moving past labels and being able to understand people for who they are. And once you understand people, it's a lot harder to hate Tim the person or Jason the person than it is to hate the label I put on you as, you know, media podcaster. Ah, they're all saying this, right? And I think both being able to bring lots of points of view and create the culture around navigating these conversations is what sets Jubilee apart. And it sets it apart so much from what all the rest of the conversation is, which is why I think they're seeing the traction that they're seeing. Yeah, Tim, just to jump in here, um, one thing we've also learned is that the more authentic we are about these conversations that are happening behind closed doors, the more that our audience responds. So for example, we've got a we've got a show called Spectrum, which is a format that says, you know, do all Asian Americans think the same, for example? And we'll have different prompts that are strongly agree, agree, slightly agree, you know, slightly disagree, disagree, strongly disagree, and show that, you know, there's not these monoliths that we sometimes think about. But we actually did this with the Jubilee team. So we did a spectrum that was, do all Jubilee employees think the same? And it featured myself and some other leaders, but also featured an intern and, you know, some folks who are new. And to be honest, when um, one of our directors said, hey, Jason, this would be a great idea, it scared me to death. Because I said, you know, what if our investors see this? What if our audience sees this and thinks we're, we're terrible? Or why are they thinking about these questions? Or why do they disagree on these things? And what we saw was a tremendous response. We saw millions of views, but not only that, that video ended up garnering over like 100,000 subscribers. It was one of the highest subscriber kind of threshold. And what we saw was, oh, when we're authentically living out our mission, when we're authentically even having these conversations about compensation and equity, um, even those are really, really hairy topics that our audience actually really honored that and enjoyed that and kind of said, okay, I understand that Jubilee is talking about these things and thinking about, even though they don't always have the right answer, even um, as long as they're growing. So that's just an example I would point to about how do we try to authentically do it and authentically have that conversation. Wow, that's great. And since you mentioned compensation and equity, and given that the progressive companies always get pressed on like how progressive they are, is that something where you're transparent with employees about compensation and equity? Yeah, I would say so. Um, one thing that we've always, one of our values is how, is people. You know, we're a people-driven company, not only in our content, but we want to honor the people within our team. Um, and we've been really intentional about having a very competitive rate for all of our team. Um, 
it's not actually the case for our leadership yet, but it's something that we're trying to trying to rectify quickly as you know as we're growing. Um, and the other thing that's actually really I'm really proud of is that our team all uh, has equity in the company. Um, that's not something that we saw in every media company. And frankly, a lot of creatives who are coming to our company are not familiar with equity or not asking about their equity. Um, but it's something that we try to educate them to and say, hey, you are an owner in this company. This is really important. And this is why. What is the company that we're trying to build together, not a company that Jason thinks that we should build? Um, so that's something that we're really proud of and that, you know, even if someone were to transition from Jubilee, that they're still part of our legacy and growing the brand. Right. And obviously, like, I mean, in the video space, we've seen plenty of examples in the past of, you know, creators being full-time employees of media companies, but not having ownership of their content or feeling like they really have a stake in what it is they're creating. So giving them that stake, I would imagine, has, you know, pays dividends um, for the company. Talking about diversity and inclusivity, we've talked about it on the internal organization front, but what about in the programming? You a lot of the videos I imagine are you know featuring talent, featuring people who are not employees of the company, but you know, may be coming in through casting calls or other processes. How are you maintaining inclusivity and diversity in the videos that you're putting out? Yeah, we have an incredible casting team um, who they're really the tip of the spear, right? They're really interacting with, you know, we sometimes we had a middle ground between um, porn stars and pastors. Um, and, you know, some of the emails that we're sending out is like, hey, I'm looking for a, a pastor who is willing to talk about, you know, sex work and the, all these complicated things. And they're just, uh, they embody the Jubilee ethos and spirit so well. I'm so proud of how we've built that team. And slowly, as we've done that, we've actually grown a huge pipeline of individuals who are really interested in being in our content. Our newsletter goes out to over 100,000 individuals who have said, hey, I want to be part of Jubilee. I want to be in these videos. Um, so anytime we actually put out an email, we're getting you know a ton of inbound um, that we're able to kind of talk to people and people are willing to do it. And I think that just speaks to the strength of what we're building and the response of our community. Um, engagement is incredibly high. People are not only wanting to be in our videos, but they're bringing the videos back home to themselves. Uh, we have so many Jubilee clubs that have popped up all around high schools and colleges where they're doing spectrum and middle ground, you know, seniors and freshmen. Or we've had, um, there's even a Berkeley class that the entire curriculum was based around Jubilee content, which I was amazed by. I don't know if that's, I don't, I, you know, I, I'm really proud of that. So it's really exciting to see how people are engaging. We've even had fans get married meeting through Jubilee, right? So um, we're really excited about this kind of authentic, organic response. Not to pivot the conversation entirely, but I am curious about the the business model at Jubilee as well as just you know um, how you're managing the different platforms that you're on. Um, I'll start with you know the platform side. So Jubilee, I think primarily on YouTube, but I don't think exclusively on YouTube. But what does your distribution mix look like at the moment? Yeah, we were really intentional for the first three years actually to primarily focus on YouTube because we felt like that was actually the hardest place to build a real audience. Uh, but we knew that if we could do it there, that we could scale everywhere. Um, so that has always been kind of the main driver for Jubilee. But in the last couple of months, actually, we've been really exploring Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, et cetera. And we're really excited about the growth we're seeing there. Um, for example, on Facebook in the last you know three months, I think we've gotten to about 40 million monthly views. Um, 
all from existing library content, right? And that's the great thing about our content. It's evergreen and the life cycle is really, really long. Um, on Snapchat, we got to, you know, I think three or 400,000 subscribers within two months and, and we're seeing engagement and watch time. They're really, really strong. So um, we're really excited that we're not only able to lateral that way, um, but we're also even lateraling to like international markets. Uh, we just launched uh, Jubilee in Espanol, um, which I think we uh, we grew to about 200,000 subscribers in a month, and we've just hit over a million views per day now. Um, so it just shows that what we're doing as it relates to these conversations and empathy is not it's not a regional thing, right? It's a universal thing. And as we go to Espanol, we just you know did a deal in Israel of like a middle ground licensed version in, in Israel. Um, we think that there can be versions of Jubilee and RIP in our formats all around the globe in native languages. Um, so we're really excited by how that the platforms are starting to scale this way too. And then Mike, as an investor in Jubilee, but then an employee of Snap, how how do you manage those two relationships? Because I could I could see like there being potential conflicts of interest or that you would, you know, have incentive to you know, say Jason like YouTube's great, but like, let's just do Snap only. Snap's great. You should be on Snap. I mean, the good news is for our program, Yellow itself, from the get-go and from the top all the way down, is we've always taken a bit of a strong platform agnostic approach. We want to support these as companies that can be self-sustaining and build in the long term. And, you know, we as a platform have to earn the right to have their business and have their partnership. And so I think that's sort of woven throughout Snap culture. And so... Uh, I, I think that makes my life easier. And then I think prior to a lot of my experience prior to Snap and what I loved about Jason's approach has always been start with a single platform. I think too many media companies try to come out shotgun style. We're going to publish to all these different platforms. And what you need to do is be able to evolve your voice. You know, I'm sure Jason can talk, speak to how their content has evolved, how they're, how they found their voice. And when you're, tr- every platform dictates a slightly different type of content. Right, just because of the nature of the platform. If you're trying to find your voice across all of those at once, it's really hard to build a strong brand. And so I think what's really smart about the approach to say, hey, we're going to pick one platform, go deep there first. It really allowed them to solidify and find their voice and footing. And from there, it gives you tremendous power and tremendous data and tremendous insights and proof to expand to all the other platforms. And I think that's where they're going at, which is what speaking to a lot of the momentum uh, that they're seeing. And it also seems like a lot of the platforms are going more in the direction, like YouTube's going in the direction of a lot of other platforms, but it also feels like a lot of the platforms are going in the direction of YouTube to some respect. So like Jason, I imagine, and I know from talking with other media executives, it's very easy these days to just take a YouTube video, take a YouTube show, put it on Facebook and not really need to make very many tweaks to it. Even, you know, putting something on Snapchat, yes, it's vertical, but it's really just, you, you know, tweaking the edit as opposed to having to produce something entirely new. TikTok, pretty different. Um, but then at the same time, TikTok, you know, extending to three minutes feels like it's creeping more into that. Yeah, I watch a lot of skits um, and, you know, things that I would describe as shows on TikTok as opposed to just choreography for example, but how, as you've expanded, you know, the platforms beyond being primarily or just YouTube, how has that changed the programming? Like, are you taking things from TikTok that that is informing the strategy on YouTube, for example? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, 
I would say that we're still pretty early in the scaling effort and we've been pleasantly surprised so far by the results, which has primarily just exactly what you said, using existing content, but thinking of it, how do we almost recut or reformat this in a native way for each platform? Because we also recognize that each platform still is very, is kind of, uh, the DNA is still different, right? We can't just assume that one viewer on Snapchat is the same as a viewer on Instagram or a viewer on YouTube. Uh, but so far, what we're excited about is that all of our, you know, our library of content is translating well as we think about each space. That said, the success on the different platforms have allowed us to have these discussions with the platforms to say, what would a native show to your platform look like? And that's the kind of conversation that a lot of those platforms are starting to ask us about. Hey, what would you pitch as a Jubilee show native to, you know, to Snapchat or native to Facebook, let's say? Um, and that's something that we're excited to explore too, because. Um, you know, Jubilee is really about creating these real, raw human experiences. And that should look and feel and exist in every kind of form and, and function, right? So we don't even think of Jubilee as even a digital media company. Now, as we go into film and TV, that's something that we want to capture there as well. As we go into product, as we go into experiences, we think there's a huge space for, for empathy there as well. And that's why we describe Jubilee as, you know, we want to be the Disney for empathy. And as you're you know, talking with the platforms about native programming, things that would be original and potentially exclusive to a platform other than YouTube, what are the considerations from your point? Because I would think like, okay, how do we know there's going to be revenue that we get back to offset whatever costs, or is the platform going to be covering costs, or are they going to be guaranteeing revenue? So how are you, like to what extent are you having those questions answered? You know, we're pretty um, open at this stage as we're talking to these platforms because we recognize that um, it seems like a lot of different platforms are thinking about it differently. So we're pretty open to kind of the way that they'd like to structure and think about it. And for us, it gives us more insight as to how we should be building the Jubilee audience on these places. So we don't kind of come in with necessarily a criteria except for to say, um, you know, sometimes we'll be asked to do whether it's partnerships or other projects, but we don't think of ourselves as a production company. Um, we primarily want to develop Jubilee content, right, for these different platforms. And I think that's the, the the real underlying thread. I think there's generally, when you look across media, two approaches. One is sort of formats and tactics first, and then you develop the voice, and then there's uh, brand and values first. And I think Jason and Jubilee are firmly in that camp. And when you lead with that, that is actually what holds you together across different platforms, right? Like I think around when actually when he was turning it into Jubilee Media, it would have been really tempting to create a bunch of videos that have text in a couple images that overlay that we saw all over social media. And he probably would have gotten tens of millions of views, but would have never cultivated a brand. And when you start with the brand, that actually gives you a much stronger cross-platform strategy that's allowed them to move from YouTube because the thing that they're engaging with is not necessarily the format or the way the text is edited, but rather what is the message that people are engaging with, which allows them to move across digital media platforms, but also uh, Jason, they recently uh, ha had a film come out. And so it allows them to go across all sorts of different formats uh, to be in audiences to follow around that because that's what they're responding to, not necessarily, oh, this thing hacked an algorithm that got in front of me, right? God, an algorithm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jason, a film. What was the film? Was this feature length? Where did it air? Yeah. Was distributed? We um, we made our first feature length documentary, um, 
and that was financed with Concordia and with Boardwalk. And um, we actually just premiered at Tribeca uh, this past um, film festival. So we were really excited about that. Um, and we're now in discussions to sell that film too. So that's a huge part of our strategy is, you know, we've built this incredible audience online and as we're going to different partners, we're able to say, hey, we're, we're able to mobilize 8 million people. Um, and it's not that they're just watching our content. They don't know who we are. It's, we believe it's going to mean something to watch a Jubilee film um, because we've kind of built that brand equity in all these different places. So uh, as we're starting to develop more film projects, TV projects, we not only want to do documentary, but also even scripted content. Um, that's all part of the strategy as we grow. So have you formed like a whole film and TV division then inside the company? We have uh, one individual currently leading that initiative, but uh, we're going to be hiring more uh, likely in the next kind of six to 12 months just because there are so many different things in the pipeline. But yeah, hopefully, you know, we'll sell this first documentary. We've got another three or four in the pipeline as well as some scripted projects that are in the pipeline as well. Um, so, you know, when people ask me, what do you mean when you say the Disney of empathy Partially what I mean is just on a cultural front, when people think about empathy and experience that, we want them to think, oh, maybe Jubilee is behind this. But secondly, if you just think about the way that, that Disney grew, right? They started with short form, you know, the black and white Steamboat Willie type of thing. Very, very easy, cheap to make. I think that that's digital right now. It's a place to discover IP. But then they started saying, hey, you know what? We think that we can do long form. We think we can do Snow White and Bambi. And initially people said, no, you guys do cartoons. You guys do short form. They said, no, we think we can do this as well. Um, and then they started selling you know, merchandise around Mickey Mouse, right? Around Snow White, around Bambi. And now there are experiences, Disneyland, cruises, et cetera, that kind of bring that magic into your real world as well. That's exactly the kind of roadmap that we'd like to follow. Digital was always intentionally the place that we wanted to start. But the vision was that we would actually be doing things on film and TV one day. We're now developing product around our shows um, that people can play these games or kind of interact with Spectrum or Middle Ground at home with your friends, with your family. And one day, what does it look like to have physical spaces that you'll go, that you'll experience this kind of jubilee magic um, in a human, in a social in a kind of empathy warehouse type of way. Taking the big swings. Wow. <laughs> uh, the goal was very, very big. That's why, you know, credit to Mike and, and all of our incredible investors in 2017. When, when, when I w was talking about this, a lot of people didn't really believe that there would be an appetite. And I think what we've demonstrated that there is certainly an appetite and there's certainly an opportunity here. Um, now it's just on us to run as quickly as we can to make sure we uh, we own and we kind of are able to succeed in this market. So I'll have to stay tuned. But uh, Jason <laughs> Wiley, Mike Sue, appreciate you both taking the time. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate you. Appreciate you having us. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for listening to the Digiday podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And we'll be back next week with another episode.